You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. And we are back. Hopefully, everybody has had a good weekend and, more importantly, has had time to get out in the timber and uh, take advantage of this whitetail rut we have going on. I tell you what, there's a lot of guys who have been finding success so far this season, and there's been a lot of guys out there who are equally still looking for that success, grinding it out, trying to find, uh, you know, that, uh, that shooter you know and uh, I tell you what there are times where it can be as easy as walking into the woods setting up and shooting a deer 20 minutes later and then there's times when 20 days later you're still grinding it out and haven't found success whether that's because maybe you missed or you know like me uh, an arrow deflected off a branch or man the the deer that you're specifically after has not been showing up Uh, it could be one of hundreds of things so i am here to tell you to keep grinding Uh, there is a lot of time left in this rut Um, you know specifically for iowa i know there's a lot of uh, let's see by the time people start to listen to this one there's some gun seasons that start to open up throughout the u.s uh, right during the rut so for bow hunters it might get a little frustrating but um you know for people in iowa and i think like illinois uh some of those gun seasons don't start until uh december there's still a lot of rut left uh I don't even know if we've hit peak breeding yet. That's typically November 14th based off studies. So, um, you know, there's also that downward part of the bell curve that a lot of rut uh, can still take place, especially the post rut where some of these big deer are looking for their last possible doe to breed. So get out there, take advantage of it. I know, um, man, I got lucky. Uh, I walked into a timber that I'd never hunted before, did a run and gun based off sign, uh, based off terrain, based off wind direction. And uh, luckily I was able to 
get it done. You know, I, I used all the things that I've learned over the years to find a tree stand location that I felt was in the best possible position. And sure enough, it worked out for me. So I must say, if you want to hear the entire story, um, I probably won't cover it on this podcast again, but go to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm not sure what episode it is, but it's the latest one. Be sure to check out the story. I tell the entire story from start to finish um, about this year's buck. So that, my friend, is where you'll find it. Now, I'm done, right? I'm tagged out. I guess I'm not tagged out in Iowa. I still have a doe tag that I look to fill. But here's the deal. I collected all my trail cameras, got them out of the woods, and I know that right now there is a lot of... Uh, data in on these SD cards that I need to upload to Deer Lab. Now, if you haven't already, go sign up for the Deer Lab, um, the Deer Lab 30-day free trial period, and go to DeerLab.com/NineFingers and uh, sign up through that URL, and you will receive a free. 30-day trial period Uh, and why is that important is because and I'll I'll, uh, tell it to you from my side of the story all the data that I'm going to pull from all the pictures of what happened this year I'm going to upload in there I'm going to do my research and I'm going to use that data to help forecast what days I should be in the timber throughout the year in certain trail camera locations Um, most of them are on travel corridors pinch points downwind of bedding areas you know uh, popular fence crossings and then what that information will tell me is historically over the years you know this location has been proven to you know have this many deer or mature deer show up at this time on this wind And I'll use that data to forecast deer movement in and around that area on the properties that I hunt. And long story short, the the whole goal at that point is to use that information to set up on deer and try to kill them, right? That's the whole goal. I mean, that's the, that's the point. And if you're an outfitter, um, or you have a a small track of land or a large track of land, it's just perfect for forecasting deer movement. Um, and that's what I use it for. And it's just, it's awesome data and especially the wind direction, right. And time of day. Uh, I know last year I didn't get to uh, sit all day this year, but there was definitely a period where I thought I was going to have to, um, based off of the information that Deer Lab uh, provided me. It said that a major on this one specific camera, majority of the movement for mature deer was coming anywhere between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So that means you got to sit middays, and typically that means you're sitting all day. So uh, just something to keep. Uh, think about so go visit deerlab.com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and sign up for a free 30-day trial period who knows you might be able to use the data from previous years successfully this year still so uh give that a look now today's podcast we are talking with a returning, returning, returning guest, Ben Harshine, owner of Huntera Maps, and he is going to talk to us about his recent 
run and gun on a new farm similar to what happened to me this year, except the buck he killed was way bigger and way older than the buck that I shot. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, a little rut success with uh, our good buddy, Ben Harshine. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I don't even know why I started. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I started laughing right there. But we are back today with good buddy Ben Harshine of Huntera Maps. Ben, how are you doing? I'm back. <laughs> You're back. Oh man, I'm pretty this sure. Is, uh... I'm pretty sure this puts you over the edge as far as or tied for uh, most times as a guest. Yeah, every time. Every time we uh, start a podcast, we bring this up and. Um, meanwhile, Adam Parr is laughing in the background because he's got the title, but, uh, I'm, I'm making my, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. <laughs> oh, that's well, funny. I, and this is a, this is a, an audio show, right? It's basically like radio, but I can see you smiling through my ears because recently you just slammed an absolute giant. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, let's do it. I am, uh, I am still smiling. My, my face hurts a little bit from smiling so much since Thursday, but, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pumped to talk about it, man. All right. So let's, uh, let's start kind of at the beginning and we're going to get right into it today because uh, we're on a little time constraint. I want to try to get to bed so I can get up early because I'm still hunting. Yeah, you uh, got to get back in a tree. Yep, here in Iowa. And uh, you're probably going to take another trip here oh, in the next couple of days or so, and we'll get into that. But I want to talk about this buck. And uh, you were all kind of gun-ho on at the beginning of the season. Not necessarily gun-ho, but kind of up in the air about this buck that we've talked about a lot called pork, right? Yep. So before we get into the buck that you ended up harvesting, do we have any type of update on this buck pork? No. When I when we uh, had our last podcast in the uh, gazebo, uh, we talked about this animal possibly being around or whatnot, or I believe I texted you a photo when I originally thought I got him on camera. And it turns out that that deer was absolutely not pork. He was still a really stout animal. Um, but definitely once I got daylight pictures of him, him facing towards the camera, it wasn't him. So, um, I've been running, uh, I believe 11 cameras on my main farm and, uh, and he's nowhere to be found as of, uh, I haven't checked him this past week, but, uh, uh, he's missing in action. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, and that, that kind of, you know, leads into just trying to adapt and find an animal to hunt, you know, yeah. which is where the story begins. So, yeah. so let's talk about this, um, uh, this new direction you went, uh, I guess it, it all started what earlier this summer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I uh, got access to uh, another property, um, and uh, it's one that we just don't have much history with. I got on it with several guys, and um, a new property that, uh, you know, we, we ran a handful of cameras this past summer, and just really, uh, we, we got a handful of 
decent bucks on there. I mean, you know, fine, fine whitetails, um, but nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. And, uh, I just, uh, kind of kept it as a, as a, a plan B here as, uh, you know, I really wanted to focus on trying to find pork back and hunting the animals that, uh, I've got history with now on my main property for the past three seasons. And, um, you know, so the story does basically in the, in the summertime and there's just really not much to report there other than it was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a farm that, that lays out really good for the rut. Uh, it seems like it's a long travel corridor, uh, for the most part, some really good cover on it, but nothing too crazy as far as uh, huge blocks of timber or anything. And, um, you know, it was, it was, a it was mainly a property that I was really looking forward to just, uh, testing my bow hunting skills on this, this upcoming year and, and learning and not, um, really having too many expectations for it. Right. And that, that you're talking about the new farm, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So with a new piece of property, you know, like I hunt, I hunt a couple farms where I've been hunting it now for, oh, eight years. And you kind of get it, you get it, get into a routine where you're setting tree stands in the same spot because you know, historically it's going to be good at certain times a year and, uh, certain winds and, you know, uh, you know, when the, when the ruts kick in, it's going to be good here and maybe not here and so forth and so on. So what did you do from the preparation standpoint, I guess, because you did get this, um, property or you access to this property at a time of year where, um, you're probably not going to go dive into the timber to scout it. Yeah. Yeah, n- not much to be honest with you. I mean, uh, some some general uh, scouting um, once I had access to it. Uh, some inventory we tried to get in the summertime with cameras, um, but uh, really it was it was kind of the unknown. And um, you know, like I said, I was just really focusing on my main property and trying to you know plant food plots and and run cameras based on um, you know my past history with it and and. Uh, uh, I, I really didn't put much time into this, this other new one. So, um, from the summertime on, I was just really dialed into, you know, trying to find pork back and, uh, actually, you know, trying to put a game plan together for a couple of the other bucks that did show up that, that, um, I was gonna, gonna go after. There was, there was a deer that was around all summer on my main farm that, um, I passed, uh, I passed him five times last year. So I'm in the very beginning of the season all the way to the last day. And, uh, um, I was excited to see what he would turn into this coming year. And he, um, he grew significantly. Um, I got him in the summertime, uh, basically throughout, watched him grow in velvet and, uh, shed his velvet and he, he's still around. And, uh, I believe he's still only a four year old. So I was hoping to not really run into him whenever, uh, you know, hunting, hunting this property, um, even though I got history with him and he's got a really big rack on him, uh, just not the age class I really was setting my goals for. But that being said, you know, as you and I discussed initially, it was kind of a bird in hand deal. And, uh, if he was going to come by, you know, I mean, I would have to make a pretty quick decision there. So, um, there was him in the summer and then, uh, it's, you know, that, that main property is, uh, so it's a working cattle farm and they just, those, you know, those deer really, new deer really don't move in until, um, those cattle come out, 
the crops start to come out and the the fall switch happens yeah so uh, i was really kind of struggling to find an animal to 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 chase um all the way into october and then you've got that first week which is historically when pork showed up and uh you know, the past two years in a row, I got pictures of them October 10th within an hour of each other between 15 and 16. And, uh, you know, October 8th, 9th, 10th comes and goes and, um, he's nowhere to be found. And, uh, uh, I did have another deer show up that I didn't get any sort of inventory of or see in 2016, but I, I did get a bunch of stuff, uh, on him in 2015. And in fact, I picked up his matched, sheds as well at the end of 2015 and so he showed back up and i i sent you that picture and um you know he was definitely a a buck that i would be happy to put my tag around probably like a mid 50s uh low 50s 10 uh five-year-old uh you know a definite five-year-old so um that was basically you know that was basically it uh is like you know i started chipping away at some sits in october right right so long story short this your your main farm wasn't panning out necessarily like you originally hoped so you got access to this new farm and i, I want to talk about what you did i mean it sounds to me like there, there wasn't a lot of energy put into this uh new farm as far as going and hanging up tree stands i mean did you do any preseason work on this farm before you actually started hunting it I personally did not. A couple of the other guys on it did um, minimally. Yeah. Uh, but basically, um, you know, with a, uh, you know, running a business in, in Hunterra and, and um, you know, getting my real estate license and getting my real estate career off the ground with Whitetail Properties, I just, that combined with having a, uh, a year and a half old son and a family here, um, you only get so many times in the off season to commit to getting some serious work done. And, um, you know, my, I really needed to get some food planted on my main property. Um, and that was, that took up, you know, a lot of my free time being able to do that, adjust some other stands and really try to get dialed in for another round, uh, on that farm. So any free time that I did have, um, you know, rarely was spent down at this, is this other property, this, this newer, uh, the new, the newer one. So yes, to answer your question, there was really not much prep heading into it. And, you know, we all kind of agreed that this was going to be a learning year and, uh, and, and we were going to hunt it, observe and try to adjust and, and make a, a good management game plan going forward with it. Gotcha. So this, this new farm, um, how many times did you hunt this new farm before you ended up harvesting this buck? Uh, this would have been sit number three. Sit number on three. It. Okay. Yep. So based off of, you know, you, you, you own a mapping business, right? So I take it that map, looking at maps and, you know, trying to find good locations for tree stands was kind of a priority, uh, as far as where to hunt. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you went about finding those tree stand locations for uh, on this new farm yeah so one really nice thing about this this farm as opposed to my main one or my my original property is that it's got access from um 
basically all directions if you're if you're willing to walk a good ways. Um, specifically, uh, uh, the cover on the property, and there's not a ton of it, but it's accessible from the north and from the south, from the east and the west. And I believe that, um, you know, compared to the, my main one that I hunt, um, there's, you know, from a percentage perspective with the whole farm, there's less of it. Uh, but being able to access is so critical. And uh, um, that was really exciting to me to be able to start to lay out some of these different locations that I was going to, uh, you know, be able to go in on on certain wind directions and not affect a bunch of the farm as, you know, maybe me and a friend of mine are hunting it on the same evening we're not affecting each other's hunts and uh, the fact that we're both hunting it on the same evening isn't ruining the whole place. And that's takes kind of a special layout to be able to do that. So initially whenever, you know, this opportunity came across and I saw the, I looked at the map, it was kind of a no, no brainer from um, uh, an access perspective. And uh, I knew that if we could be smart with how we're accessing it and the different stands, even though we're running and gunning, um, you know, if we're smart about how we're hanging our stands and we're smart about where those stands are in certain wind directions, then we were going to be good. So, um, my first, uh, did you want to get into like where I was sitting and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. So talk to, yeah, talk to us about the details, like the terrain mm-hmm. features that you were looking at and why you decided to hunt in these. Yep. So when we did, when I, uh, stepped foot on the property for the first time, um, did do a, a you know a pretty solid uh, walk through it, even through the the thicker stuff, just to get an idea of you know can I still see some sort of of last year's sign or are there just any you know areas that are just kind of a no brainer for a mature buck to hide, and uh, I, I pinpointed a couple of them just with with the map. I mean hunting in Iowa now or the, the heartland in general, where you got a big agri- agriculture, uh, it's it's uh, from a strategy standpoint, a map maker's standpoint, um, man, you can really just dial into certain areas that are of interest as opposed to hunting big timber. So um, I picked a couple areas out that I did walk and uh, found some really secluded, uh, some secluded areas on the farm, mainly drainages. Uh, when I say drainages, there's a ton of crops on this property and um, – you know, anywhere where it's really not farmable is where there's trees. So where you're getting a lot of slope uh, down into some timber, that's where your your drainages and draws are. And there's a couple on the on the other hand. Um, it goes up the other way, and it's too high of an elevation of like a ridge line. That's where their timber is as well. So there's a couple main ridge lines on the property, but a lot of the cover is down lower. Um, and a crick, crick bottoms and just ditches that, uh, that erode over time from, from the rain and, and, uh, coming off the crop fields. Um, but one in- place that really interested me, interested me was, uh, just a kind of a secluded draw that didn't have a bunch of acreage to it. And it was just super, super thick. Uh, there's a really big scrape on each of the heads of it to like at the top and at the bottom um, that was, you know, old from last year. And there was like one main trail kind of going through it. And, uh, it just, when I dove into that, it just felt like that is, man, that is an area that, 
you know, it only takes one animal to really want to stay in there. Um, and that could be a big, a big deer. He's, he's close enough to food sources. He's close enough to water and the bigger bedding areas are just right over the other side of the field. So that sound felt like a pretty good place for, a um, for a big deer to hide and, uh, or, or want to hide. So that was actually my, my first sit was at the, at the head of one, of, uh, at the head of that ravine, uh, in the evening. Um, uh, basically I, uh, I slipped in there, I had like a West wind and, uh, I came in from the East and basically came down at the head of the draw where there was uh, what I thought would be a scrape, you know, just from a classic scenario of cover heading out into the open area you're sometimes going to see scrapes on, on that, that transition where, uh, where that happens. And, and sure enough, uh, there was one opened up again there. And I slipped in maybe only about 12 feet off the ground or whatnot, just because it was really thick coming out of there. And, uh, that would have been in the beginning of October. Um, and sure enough, I heard, a I, I heard what sounded like a really good deer, um, probably no more than 60, 70 yards up the ditch from me, but it was so thick. I couldn't see him. He was just destroying trees in there at about, you know, four or five o'clock, a couple hours before dark. So he probably got up, uh, you know, did his thing and then maybe bedded back down into the evening, but he never did come past me and I never did hunt that, that stand again. So that was kind of my, my tactic for, you know, the very first set, where am I going to go on this place? And that, that was based off of a speed scout uh, in the map. Nice. Nice. So other than hearing what you thought was a, uh, a good deer, did you actually see anything? Uh, I actually saw one doe. She came down and uh, she didn't walk right past me on the main trail. She kind of came near me and then slipped up into the, into the field. So, um, if you'd look at it on the map, you would think it's a no brainer. They're going to run right past this stand. And I guess if they're on the trail, they will, but there's nothing that says that they always have to go a true, you know, North South or a true East West linear pattern. Uh, sometimes terrain may look like it's going to dump them down into an area and they just go against the grain and go right up the, right up the hillside, right into the corn. So that's what, you know, that's what she did that night. And I think that's what he did as well, unless he just hung tight until after dark and I got out of there and, you know, maybe he was behind me or whatnot, but it would have helped if I was running cameras on that scrape to, to figure out what was what. But I basically was just kind of uh, hanging, you know, running gun from intuition and, um, you know, learning, trying to learn the farm and, and not not just uh, um, do a bunch of effort without really just sitting back and observing first. So. Right, right. So was that tree stand location the same location where you ended up killing him? Negative. Nope. Nope. Okay. It was not. Okay. Nope. So you had, that was your very first sit on the farm, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. First sit. Yep. What was the, what was the second sit? Yep. Second one would have been, uh, we had a really strong, uh, another West wind and do we have more, I believe, think, think it was more of a Northwest that night. It was super windy. And I hunted in uh, an observation stand. I got way high up there just to see this kind of secluded, a secluded part of the farm. Again, corn, corn. Uh, I guess one one thing to point out is that first sit was before this corn. The corn was picked on this property, um, so there was a minimal amount of travel I could really do to get around on the property, unless I wanted to walk the edge, which not only takes a ton of time, but it's also super intrusive because those deer walk in the edges as well. So. Um, really didn't even think about hunting this pro- property until 
seriously until the the corn got cut which um you know a, a, a couple nights before it did had a strong northwest i'm like man i'm gonna i'm gonna sit in this one area that i'm just gonna be able to see a good ways and see if i could find a good buck come out and, and figure out his trail or whatnot so um got in there and um it's kind of difficult to find a uh, find a good tree to to get in i eventually got in one and and, uh, man, I saw a pile of deer that night, uh, mainly just a bunch of does. And it was just the, uh, just starting to creep into the pre-rut. And, um, you know, I had a couple young bucks come out and were running those does all over the place. But the bigger ones just weren't ready to come out and show themselves yet, at least on that part of the farm and in daylight. So it was an exciting hunt because I saw a ton of does. Um, and I keep that in the back of my mind for you know, the years to come when it, with the rut there's some really good cedar cover just off of the property there and um you know, those does certainly like that jammed right up against the crop field so that was a that was a fun sit um and again that was purely an observation stand i didn't even expect to arrow anything out of there i was just using it more to to watch so right right okay and then uh third sit on the farm the glory hole i guess you'd call it <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But okay, walk us walk us through that piece and why you sat there. Yeah, so why I sat there um, actually starts back to my original farm, and I, I just uh, my, my my main piece just does not set up good for a north wind. In the past two seasons, actually, people remember we had a lot of south winds uh, the past two years, which is why this this farm hunted so well, and I hunted you know, a specific animal for a full season, two years in a row. Well, we were blessed with some phenomenal weather, uh, basically starting that third week of October all the way into November, uh, just night after night of cold weather. And we had just prevailing Norths and Wests, West winds. And I soon found out that, man, I'm just hunting. This farm is just not set up unless I can change something with my access permissions uh, this is just a difficult farm to access with a north wind and hunt with a north wind. And um, that started to, you know, change the gears where I was diving more into, okay, you know, it's time to start learning this other property and whatnot. So I picked a, we had a, Thursday night we had a, uh, we had a north, northeast. And, um, you know, I got got a bunch of work done early in, there in the, in the morning and, um basically just picked a spot out on the map that I, I knew was uh, an area that was uh ve- had very thick cover it was it was a part of the farm that was timbered before so like early successional growth or a young regenerating forest uh where you got a bunch of briars and, and young hardwoods growing up to to make an extraordinarily thick part of the property and i wanted to sit up against that and, and uh and see if you know i could I could get some sort of glimpse of a deer wanting to move into that really good cover or coming out of that good cover. And, uh, you know, so it was all basically map based. It wasn't a, really a part of the farm that I, I walked other than, you know, kind of the other part of that, that main sanctuary. But, um, the way it set up was uh, North Northeast wind. Uh, I was at the Northwest corner and, uh, there was a little finger of timber that, I, that I, I dropped down in, but, you know, I parked the truck, uh, I, I walked, uh, I used the roll of the, the crop fields to my advantage to not get silhouetted. Um, and I just made sure that, okay, you know, this spot looks good on the map, but once I get there, 
you know, if that, as, as, as I start to drop down into that, that, uh, that drainage, if the wind is really starting to get a little goofy, I'm going to have to get out and pick, find another place because the last thing I wanted to do was start to affect, you know, the, the, the better parts of the farm just leading into November. And, uh, you know, I crested over, uh, started working my way down in that North East kept in my face and, um, you know, I had no sets there pre-hung or anything like that. Um, and I, uh, I basically popped, uh, popped a lone wolf, um, 18 feet up in the air and, uh, had absolutely my best hang of the season for a run and gun. Um, <laughs> I modified, uh, I modified my lone wolf sticks, um, thanks to, uh, one of the other contributors here to the sportsman's nation, um, DIY, uh, sportsman, he, he modified some lone wolf sticks at, at, at some point on his YouTube channel with uh, a specific paracord rope, and I, I did that as well because I um, those buckles, in my opinion, are just a little bit too loud, uh, you know, for whenever you're in you're in tight quarters, and and uh, so I, I modified that these sticks to be quiet specifically for this situation, and uh, I was able to to hang a, a stand that you know if you were ten feet away looking the other direction you. I'm confident you never even would have heard me. And I think that, that was kind of the beginning of a lot of small details that went into play to be able to, um, to kill this animal. So, um, popped up in there at, uh, uh, 2:45, and I did a rattling sequence, um, really aggressive one at three o'clock just to let, you know, just, just to go after it. And, uh, maybe it certainly wasn't the conservative move, but, did a really hard uh, rattling sequence. I think it's, it's it's kind of that time of year where you don't have a lot of does and estrus, but you got these bucks that are fired up on testosterone, ready to go, and uh, they're they're certainly aggressive and willing to respond to calls to an extent. Um, so I did that, and I brought a, a, th- a three-year-old ten in right behind me, and um, uh, even the scent control, you know, all, all the small details matter because he came literally right down on my path that I walked in and he didn't catch me. And, uh, soon after I got a, I got a call from, from Kate, my wife, who was at the time in Italy on a, uh, you know, a lifelong trip that she wanted to go on with her, uh, aunts and mom and whatnot. So I'm because of the time change, uh, she FaceTimed me to say goodnight, you know, and it's, it's three o'clock, you know, our time and it's 10 o'clock their time. And she wasn't feeling good for the past couple of days. So I'm, I'm talking to her and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't miss this call. Even though I just did this rattling sequence. And, uh, so I'm, I'm talking to her and, uh, uh, you know, I, I look up and I just see this crown of, of antlers coming through the, that regenerate, you know, regenerating forest. And I was game on from there. Wow. So, so, and, and how long after you rattled did he come through? Uh, would have been about just under 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, not immediately, but, uh, there's no doubt with his demeanor, uh, him coming in and the way he responded after I called to him a couple more times that that rattle was what brought him in. Um, I think that he was far enough away where he couldn't quite pinpoint exactly where I was, where he could make a strategic, you know, downwind circle to figure me out. Um, I was far enough away where he was like, okay, I know it's in that general direction and I'm going to use the terrain and the trail coming out of this thick stuff to, to figure that out. And, uh, I was one step ahead of him with that, but I was, you know, 
I'm talking to Kate and I, I look up and I'm like, and I said, Oh my God, there's a giant coming. And I, I click and I hung up the phone and jammed that phone in my pocket. <laughs> and, uh, and basically within, uh, you know, he, he came down this main trail and got behind this big tree. And, and, and I just, I, I went into overdrive. It's just one of those hunts where you, 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 everything you do is just, it just all uh, culminates into, you know, good decisions. And I was just riding that wave. Uh, so he comes in and gets behind this big tree and I, I didn't want him to use the topography to walk up the ditch because it was just so thick in there, even though he would have been in bow range, I wouldn't have been able to slip an arrow on that edge because it was just, it was just too thick. So I was kind of concerned about him going up the ditch and then working around me and, and it not working out. Um, so I immediately grunted at him as soon as he came around the corner threw two grunts at him. And that was enough to have him feel confident. Okay. That, you know, that threat is, is just right over across from this opening. And, um, you know, he came out from behind that big tree and he was at about 45 to 50 yards. Um, I drew on him as soon as his head went behind the next tree and basically just followed it full draw, uh, followed his vitals all the way into, uh, my opening, which was at uh, 11 yards, and uh, stopped him, and just uh, just kind of eased on into it, you know. And it's like, remember you and I talking? I've been dealing with some serious target panic over the past couple of years, and it's strange how that encounter happened because everything really slowed the, the game slowed down for me. And um, I remember whenever I stopped him, I just was uh, I took. I just really took my time on executing a good shot and um, put a really good shot on him a quarter and away, uh, basically two thirds of the way back from his rib cage um, came out right behind his arm and in the front, he jumped through this crash through this brush pile and uh, he, you know, he jumped in this brush pile that I couldn't even believe he got out of it, but he jumps in this thing and jumps out of it and stops and looks back at me and it's just pouring out of his other side. And um, he basically started to walk back onto the trail that he came in on and he started to get really weird there at the end and then I lost sight of him and uh, immediately called Kate back to tell her I just shot that deer that I hung up that was worth me hanging up uh, on her (laughs) for so so this this moment that happened right you know like last year you shot a really good buck with a muzzleloader okay and but you hadn't shot a buck with a a bow yet in Iowa, right? Uh, I I've shot two and and haven't reco- uh, recovered either of them. So yeah, right. I've not killed one with a bow. Correct. Right, right. So this moment happened, and you know you drilled this buck. What and this is this is what people move to Iowa for. What kind of thoughts were going through your head when? You let that arrow fly. You knew it was a good shot. You saw him getting weird. What was going through your head? Um, man, I, I, I was, uh, I was super satisfied with everything that happened, but the pessimistic side of me kicked in a little bit as far as, man, I didn't see him go down and, and, uh, but there was really no question with like, I thought, okay, would I have shot at a different location of his body where he was at? Absolutely not. I perfect, you know, per, hit him right where I wanted to. Would I have done all the things that led up to that shot different, anything differently? No, absolutely not. So, um, man, everything just felt really good. And uh, I called Kate back and, and, 
you know, started to go into some pretty serious adrenaline shock there with her. And, you know, she was just pretty emotional, um, you know, being so far away, we haven't seen each other for a while. And, and, um, you know, she knows that I've been through, um, you know, a road with, uh, some pretty steep grades to it as of late in the, in the deer woods. And she was just happy for him, you know, me being able to put an arrow through this thing and, and feel good about it. So, you know, I got off the phone with her and then I, uh, I called my dad who's, uh, you know, I had, he was gonna, he was the next, next call. And, and, um, you know, we just basically talked through what happened and, uh, I was by no means like, you know, going on a victory lap or anything. I just basically wanted to talk to him about, you know, here, here's what happened. Here's, um, you know, I can see my arrow, you know, I can see significant blood down there and let's you know, just talk through, um, you know, get the motions aside. What, what, what are the next correct steps here so that we do everything right to recover this thing. And, um, you know, we kind of reviewed that together and, you know, just him being in Pennsylvania, he just crawled in the stand, uh, for an evening hunt and it was pr- pretty cool to talk to him. And, uh, you know, after that I called, um, uh, you know, called you and a couple other guys to figure out a game plan to, to get this thing. So awesome, man. So, so did you go looking for him first or did you back out? Um, I went down to, uh, inspect the point of impact, um, which was, uh, a pretty good sign. I found my arrow immediately full pass through, uh, blood, uh, tip to knock, uh, blood everywhere at the point of impact. And then where he leapt, there was, uh, basically blood, you know, on the, on each side of the animal. So I, um, uh, I really didn't want to, to push anything though, because I shot him at what would have been about three fifteen. And it was not going to get dark. It was before daylight savings time, so it wasn't going to get dark until about 6.30 or, or so. I knew I had time, so um, not, my friends weren't immediately available. That's a good thing. If I would have found this deer on my own, there, there was really no point. There was no way I was going to move him. He's just way too big of an animal. So um, I said, you know what? I'm just going to get out, get my thoughts wrapped around it myself a little bit and give him some time. So I, I felt really good after I found that arrow, though, and there was – you know, there's lung blood immediately and uh a lot of it and um basically got out and then uh uh, made plans to to recover him with with a with a friend um who's going to be able to drag and i also called uh, my mom who uh, was watching my son for um uh, for the past week as kate was gone i really wanted um, she's never been on a recovery whenever I, I've hunted, even though I've been hunting since I was 12 years old, she's never been on a deer recovery, which is kind of crazy. And, um, Jack not even being two years old yet has not been on one either. So I said, you guys got to get down here. I feel pretty good about this one. And, um, you know, we, we all went in after him together. So, so you had your boy with you. That, that was probably a, that was probably an amazing thing for you when, when you, started following the blood and when you saw him lying there did you realize how big he was <laughs> no no i didn't uh i knew he was good uh because when i when when i uh saw him initially when i was on the facetime with kate um like it took about an eighth of a second to realize he was a shooter yeah. Um, but as soon as I, 
like I said, I went into overdrive, and as soon as I knew that, I didn't even look at his rack anymore. I just focused on bring, getting him into my to, to bow range. And um, when I grunted at him a couple times, he, you know, he came in. I'll, I'll never forget how big he was, um, bristled up, you know. And it was almost like I had a decoy there, even though I didn't. He was completely bristled up, and he looked like the Goodyear blimp, uh, the brown version of that, coming through the timber, and his ears were pinned back, and he's all stiff-legged and everything. And you know, I shot him, and uh, I still didn't even look at his rack when he was running away. So when we got up and found him, uh, it was, you know, just another uh, awesome moment. You know, walking up to a deer that, you know, had the opposite of ground shrinkage from a body perspective and from a rack perspective, and you know, it just all was really, really good, powerful stuff, dude. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was awesome, and and. Uh, he uh, he was stiff as a board even after a couple hours. He died immediately. I I basically saw him go down. I didn't even realize it where where he went. And uh, uh, and I had my son there, my mom, and another friend, and uh, and we just soaked soaked it in there for a little while and and uh, got him tagged and then the real work began as far as uh, trying to get him out of where he died, which was. Uh, quite a lot of work you know when you shoot a a deer that's pushing 300 pounds so and that's what to me is like so how much did he score you 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 rough scored (laughs) him at what yeah uh rough scored him with my neighbor who's killed plenty of deer in his life um at uh 166 inches as a as a mainframe nine point okay um so but that you know that number's awesome, right? A big nine, uh, mainframe nine, one hundred sixty-six inches. But what I love is the weight number. Like, how how big was this buck? Yeah, he was. Uh, after I field dressed him, I got a chance to weigh him at the butcher, and he was two hundred and forty pounds field dressed. So, you know, I, I talked to a couple of my biologist buddies, and you know, what what would this deer weigh? Um, you know, if, if he did have the guts in him and from the, they do it from like a percentage perspective, you know, and, and, and that range would have been 280 to, to, to 300 pounds kind of dependent on, you know, truly how much his innards weighed. But, uh, yeah, he's just a super, super heavy, uh, stout, long, big bodied animal with a lot of mass to him. And, and, uh, it was pretty neat walking up on him and, and, um, uh, just, uh, being up close and personal with a, with a deer like that, that, you know, I put a lot of sacrifice and, and effort and, and, um, time into, to getting, um, to the end of that trail. Now so. is, uh, is Kate going to let you keep the mount upstairs? <laughs> I don't know about that. I'd probably push my luck a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, we've got some more space in the map cave to, to put them and, and, uh, we'll cross that bridge. Uh, when we might, get there, but might have to wine and diner, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might, I might just have to, you know, one night, even, even if, uh, you know, I, I get them down here in the map cave, I might just have to take them and put them upstairs one night. Well, once, you know, once, once that happens and see, seeing how she reacts and seeing how many pans fly <laughs> at me, you know, before he goes back down. But no, that doesn't matter as much as, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, I bow hunt for memories and, uh, it's nice to put down the big deer like this and everything, but, um, I'm just kind of a proponent of not 
you know, the, the size of that animal isn't a, a direct reflection of the quality of the hunter. And, uh, it's important to not get caught up into that. I'm, right. you know, uh, I've, I've experienced a lot of people that just get a little bit too wrapped up into that. And, and, uh, you know, the next morning, um, Jared Mills and I were able to get uh, some really good pictures of him in first light. And, and, uh, I'm a, just a huge fan of that. You know, last year you spent a whole morning with me taking pictures of, of the buck that I killed last year. And, and, uh, those pictures matter so much to me, um, just because it's, uh, capturing, them, you know, uh, you know, the, um, kind of the, the last moments of, of him, as opposed to just being on the wall to look at, uh, you know, the pictures with the habitat and the, and the, and the, the timing and just, you know, the moments afterwards that really matters to me. So we got some really good pictures of them and, uh, you know, that's how I'll honor them. You know, we say honor, honor the beast. And, uh, um, you know, that's, that's the stuff that really matters to me and, uh, uh, the memories. And now uh, we're just going to move on and try to try to keep this train rolling here. So, so, uh, so you, you got another hunt coming up, right? I mean, not in Iowa, but where are you going? Yeah, heading to Kansas uh, again. Be uh, another year in Kansas. That um, man, I, I love that state. Uh, my dad and I have been going there now for coming on six years, um, and I'm actually going with uh, I'm going with uh, a, a guy by the name of Mike Massey. And Mike, I, I call him the Shark Man. Mike was bit by a shark uh, this summer in his hand really, really badly. He's from South Florida, and he was uh he was spearfishing a crazy dude was spearfishing uh, in shark waters and uh you know sure enough he, he's waiting for the boat to pick pick him up and he gets bit by the shark and it almost rips his hand off and we already had this trip scheduled together and uh, uh i'm thinking man how are you ever going to draw a bow again in your life let alone this fall you know with a hand that looks like that and man he really put the time in to do some serious physical therapy and he had a great hand doctor which was like a one of his best fishing buddies so i guess that worked out for him really well but he's already killed uh man he's already killed like a caribou and a world-class moose and it's not even uh, our trip to kansas yet so he's ready to rock and, and i am as well uh, i'm gonna go down there for a uh, nice little trip here on on wednesday so basically we'll be hunting you know kind of that second into third week of november when things should be getting you know firing on all cylinders hopefully so I tell you what, man, I only have nine fingers and I, <laughs> hence the name of the podcast, but I wish that I had a kick-ass story like what your buddy has. Like, so how did uh, you lose your finger? Oh, I was spearfishing and a shark bit it off. Like yeah. <laughs> that's, that is such a badass story that this guy rehabbed from a shark bite to go up and kill a moose and a caribou in the same year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's. And what even makes it crazier is that this isn't even his first uh, shark attack. He, he's been bit by a shark before. Uh, apparently, sharks love him. Uh, they bit, like, his other arm almost off. Uh, so he, he is – I'm so excited to, to, to hunt with him. He's got energy through the roof, and uh, just going to be an awesome guy to share, um, you know, share a hunt w- with. So um, I'm pumped about that. But, you know – going back to your finger um a couple years ago and you and i were ripping around the gravel roads of southern iowa and we we found the snapping turtle that 
that took yep. your your finger, dude. Yep. So don't forget about that. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. We took care of him, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to get. Quite. I want to get that. What's his What's his name? Ben Massey. What's his name? Uh, your buddy got bit by a shark. Oh, Mike. Mike, Mike Massey. Mike Massey. Yep. I want. I'm going to try to get him on the podcast. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Absolutely. He. Uh, yeah. He's. He'll be an instant classic. Uh, he's just got so much positivity um, and uh, and energy. He's killed so many big animals over his life, and he's just like not scared of. You know, I was talking to him like moments after he got bit by the shark, and he's just like already talking about, "Oh, it'd be all good, man. I'll I'll figure it out." You know. So. <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good times. Good like- times. And you just never know what. You just never know what life is going to throw you around the corner, whether it's going to be a shark bite, a, a big deer, or a, another child, or whatever. You, you know? I hope it's not another child. I'd almost <laughs> rather get bit by a shark than have a fourth kid. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Well, I tell you what, Ben. Let me say congratulations on uh, the buck of 10 years. You know, I don't want to say a lifetime because, you know, Guys like us still have a lot more hunting left to do, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, on an awesome buck and uh, good luck on your upcoming trip to Kansas, man. Yeah, thank you, buddy. I really appreciate it. And there you have it, my friends. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Mr. Ben Harshine. Thank you for taking time and coming on the podcast. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to download and listen to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast. Wasp Archery, Ozonics, Deer Lab, Exodus Trail Cameras, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Gearhead, Ripcord, and last but not least, Bighorn Outfitters. Please go support those companies because they support me. And, um, yeah, so <laughs> I I can I tell you what I'm laughing right now because I can hear my kids in the background throwing a temp, temper tantrum. So it's almost like I want to make this outro last longer so I don't have to go handle what is going on out there. But I do have to be a good father, which means I am gonna have to go eventually handle it. But anyway. <laughs> Go check out those partners of this podcast. Please go check out the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. You've, if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard about it some way, shape, or form. But please go visit Sportsman's Nation. That's with an E on Sportsman's. Sportsmansnation.com. And you can check out the Land and Legacy Podcast, the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, the Transition Wild Podcast, and the DIY Sportsman's podcast i tell you what there is more going to happen in 2018 so look for big things coming from that uh that website other than that guys there's still a lot of time left to hunt do not get discouraged uh, if you haven't found success already just keep grinding um you know don't be afraid to take a day step back recenter and then get after it again Um, because what happens is you get so frustrated and you're it's almost like you get this tunnel vision and the tunnel gets smaller and smaller and smaller and then you can't it's like 
it's like you can't focus on your end game and the end game is obviously to have a, a harvest uh, of whatever your goal is whether that's just a doe or a mature buck or anything in between uh, there's still a lot of time left to accomplish your goal be safe doing it be smart about it and and most importantly i think other than being safe is don't compare your situation to somebody else's situation um the industry kind of has us all tricked to the fact that uh in order to be a successful bow hunter you have to shoot a big antlered buck that's bullshit okay so don't don't get twisted over there all right you have to do what you have to do on the properties that you hunt you know, we don't all hunt over gigantic food plots on low pressure deer, right? That's a fact. So do what you have to do on the properties that you have to do it with and realize that uh, not every year people are successful. Um, it's, it's just a, a way of life. And uh, I'm kind of getting, I'm prolonging this uh this podcast longer than I probably need to, but I just want to let you guys know that um, killing a deer is the cherry on top, right? It's the period at the end of the sentence. It's the journey throughout the entire year that is hunting, right? It's not whether or not you kill a giant buck. That means nothing in the grand scheme of things. So just keep that in mind. Other than that, be safe. Still a lot of time left in wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.